Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Today's episode is brought to you by Whoop, the personalized digital fitness and health coach. John John and Nathan Florence have both been using Whoop for over three years now to balance their training both in and out of the water. Now, Whoop is introducing the all-new Whoop 4.0, the latest, most advanced fitness wearable on the market. Monitor your recovery, sleep, training, and health with personalized recommendations and coaching feedback with Whoop. Train smarter, recover faster, sleep better, and now feel healthier with Whoop. The all-new 4.0 is smaller, smarter, and designed with new biometric tracking, including skin temperature, blood oxygen, and more. The device also features an all-new smart alarm designed to wake you up feeling refreshed and ready to take on the day. Plus, it was designed with their new Anywhere technology, so you can wear it with their Whoop body sensor-enhanced garments. The all-new Health Monitor dashboard gives you a big-picture overall look at health. Monitor key metrics like heart rate, resting heart rate, heart rate variability, skin temperature, and blood oxygen levels. Plus, see improvements and irregularities in vital signs over time. You can even export 30-day health trends to share with your coach, trainer, PT, PCP, or physician. The all-new waterproof device is free when you design up for a WHOOP 4.0 membership. For any members, if you have six months left of membership on your account, you can upgrade now and get the 4.0 for free. And right now, Whoop is offering 15% off when you use the code BEACHGRIT at checkout. Go to Whoop, W-H-O-O-P.com and enter B-E-A-C-H-G-R-I-T at checkout to save 15%. Hello. Welcome to Dirty Water, episode 43. More fun, we hope, than six weeks of 16-hour shifts on the fast track. I'm Derek Riley. I'm with Charlie Smith. And today's guest brought hell to a longboard event five months ago when she called out the contest organisers from the stage for paying the women half as much as the men. The effect was seismic and mainstream media went into overdrive. For who, after all, doesn't love a little patriarchy busting? Is there no crime greater or more deserving than a little public vengeance? Organisers of the event pledged to do better, saying they hadn't really thought about it and GSI surfboards quickly jumped in to fill the gap in prize money. Two weeks ago, our guest went head-to-head with the founder of Professional Surfing, Mr. Ian Cairns, via Instagram DMs after she posted a meme featuring the hanging scene from the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Kanga took it as a personal affront, white man being executed. Our guest did it to highlight the hypocrisy of an amendment to Texan abortion laws. Our guest, Australia's Lucy Small. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. That was oh. Derek. Thank you. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, a pleasure. Uh, Lucy, so, so first, how about you take us back to what was, before you got on stage, a pretty inconsequential longboarding event. So paint us a picture. When did you realise you were getting stiffed for the cash? Um, yeah, so um, Curly Mail Jam is an event that I guess it's like sort of part of the Australian amateur longboard circuit. There's like a few different events throughout the year around Australia that are kind of like the longboard board rider club events that they're, it's like their annual contest. Um, a lot of them don't normally have prize money and um, the Curly Mail Jam is um, probably, I think it's, it's probably the richest like um, prize purse at that level. 
Um, so I was a late entry into the event. Someone pulled out and um, <laughs> on reflection, I really think they must have regretted giving me that spot. But <laughs> um, so I knew what the women's prize money was, but I didn't know that it was, un that it was unequal before I entered. And um, the actual day of the event, the waves were crap. Um, North Curly is like basically a shorey. It was just breaking like bat out the back and then a big gully and then right onto the sand. Um, so before I paddled out, I was kind of like, this looks kind of hectic. And um, it's actually a um, like a high performance longboard event. So before the contest, I know like a few of the um, other people who were in it had like gotten their old HPs out, dug them out from under the house to, um, to <laughs> just to surf that event. And I was like, oh, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna surf my log. Like I can't, um, I can't, I don't even know how to surf a HP. So I had my, I had like a nine, six single fin with a super wide tail, like basically the opposite of what you need in those conditions. And um, paddling out of my first heat, it was like, it was kind of better when I got out there than what I thought from the beach. And, um, and I just, I don't know, managed to scrape through that heat like I didn't really get any good waves I think I, I got through in second or something and um and then the waves started to get a lot, lot better in the afternoon it did start to clean up but it was still like basically a shorey and um for the final yeah I just like managed to get two good waves and everybody else was just like struggling to get onto these big fat burgers and um I just got like a couple of runners that felt really good and I was like you know, when, you, when you're in the lead in the heat, you're like willing the time to speed up. And when you're like in a not passing position, you are like willing the time to slow down. And I was just like, come on, <laughs> I think I'm in the lead. Like they didn't announce the positions or anything. Um, and then, yeah, coming into the beach, they didn't, I didn't know if I'd won or not, but a few people said like, oh yeah, like you surf really well. I think that you maybe might've, might've won that. And, um, and then, I was standing with one of the other finalists, Tully, Tully White, who is currently in California competing um, on the Longboard World Tour. Go, go Tully. Um, and her mom, and we were talking about like, yeah, the final or whatever. And, um, and she said, I don't think the prize money is not equal. Last year, Tully only got 750 while the men got um, four grand. And I was like, what that just seems like that doesn't happen anymore like surfing has equal prize money surely and um so then we Tully was like nah definitely it's definitely an equal so I went over to where they were setting up the presentation and like had a look at the big novelty checks moved the stuff over dug around and um and yeah I saw that the men were getting four grand for the winner and um and I was going to get or whoever won the women's um was going to get 1500 so myself and tully and one of the other finalists we were just standing there going whoever's won has to say something and then we were like maybe we just we'll just talk to the organizers off to the side and um and then when it actually got to the presentation standing up there and and then they like said that i'd won and then yeah asked me to say something and um i was like in my head i was going don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. <laughs> and then I was just already saying it. I was like, yeah, I don't know. My voice was shaking. I was super, I don't know, to sort of 
someone gives you a $1,500 check and you just look them in the face and say, this is not enough, um, I guess felt like, I don't know, that was a pretty scary thing to do. It was a pretty intense thing to do, but um, I knew I had like the support of other girls up there because we'd kind of talked about how annoyed and sick of it we were. And, um, and Tully's mom, Donna, was filming. <laughs> so I knew that I had a little pocket of support in the crowd, even if no one else was into it. Um, and yeah, at the time I had no idea that it would blow up in the way that it did. Like it was, um, yeah, I was, I thought like probably people in longboarding would like see the video and think like, oh yeah, that's like that, that they had it coming because there's been so many events over the years of unequal prize money. And I know like just a month before the, there was a con contest in Noosa, like similar kind of level that they did have unequal, unequal prize money as well. And the winner, um, she was just kind of like, I saw her a few weeks later and she was like, it's just so like degrading and so over it. And it just feels like there's nothing we can do. Like you just have to take your, your lesser prize money and just like act like you should be grateful to even have a division in the event. Um, so that was kind of, I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't really expect that um, anything would kind of, yeah, become the, the, what it has. And like that night after I, I went home and I was talking to one of my friends and she was like, I wonder if you get any media out of this. And I was like, nah, probably not. Nobody really cares. <laughs> um, but yeah, thanks. Thanks to Chaz kind of putting that, out there at the very beginning and then it got picked up and, and really really snowballed into what was like probably one of the most intense periods of my life <laughs> um so yeah that was that was pretty much it when you were when you're up there on stage getting your or i mean just the idea of unequal prize money to begin with like i mean i don't know why any man is against it as a, as a concept why it even royals anybody right like people are doing the same thing like whatever pay them equal like there's it should be a purse i mean the the u.s women's soccer team in particular is one that's really gotten me where for years and years and years and years they've gotten paid less but they're the only ones who win the championships uh and they've gotten paid tons less like i i don't understand how this is even a thing like in your mind, how do you rationalize it being a thing? Like, what is the impetus behind it? What is the meaning for all of this? Why does this exist? I guess it's sort of about, it's about maintaining control, like one group maintaining control of, or ownership over the domain, over the sporting domain. I don't know if this is like the science behind it, but like, it, I guess historically, sport has been something that men have done. Um, it's like this inequality has gone back for many, many years since the dawn of people playing sport. Um, and it's something that men have done in the, in the public sphere and something that women have not really done. Um, and, you know, like somebody, the first woman to ever run a marathon was 1973. They only had 1500 meters freestyle for women at the Olympics this year for the first time. And this kind of ideas about like what sport means and who should be doing it. I think um, in a lot of sports, it's like white men have control and ownership over that space and to expand it out and include 
different people as equals is to kind of lose that control and lose that power perceived loss of control and power but what it actually is doing by keeping the, the field narrow to like the the these kind of traditional ideas of what a what an athlete looks like is a is a is a white man um you actually lose out on all of like these bigger markets and these these much greater opportunities for expansion and growth that diverse inclusion actually poses so yeah i think that that is kind of i think it's not it's not specific to sport this inequality like obviously the gender pay gap still exists more generally so I think it's symptomatic of wider cultural ideas of the roles and the values that 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 women the value that women have within our societies um, more generally. I noticed you mentioned that um, you know white men a few times. Is it only um, endemic to um, to white men, or there's some bad black men out there as well, keeping down the women in Africa? Um, yeah, yeah, totally. But I think. Like, I'm not going <laughs> to that's, I mean, like, in terms of, like <laughs> the system of patriarchy is large, the apex predators of the patriarchy is white men as a group. And I'm not saying that as anything against white men personally as into individuals, just the system that favours white men. Um, and like sports that are maybe more like ethnically or racially inclusive, like so soccer or football, um, uh, it, it poses different problems but when we when we think about surfing specifically um like it is largely dominated by white men the narratives around who is a surfer is a is a, a blonde white californian this like californian identity that surfing has um well that, that has been appropriated as the surfer identity that is is like this california um yeah, this Californian look or whatever appearance. And it's to do with class as well, the way that we see um, like people of color not really included in, in surfing as, as much, like it's gradually changing, but things that are like coastal, um, like suburbs that are close to the beach are more expensive. So it's gonna be more- Sorry, isn't it, isn't it, sorry I, gotta, I gotta take issue with that expensive suburbs thing because it never used to be. It's only quite a recent phenomenon, the increase in, Real estate prices around the beach, like Bondo is a shithole. I mean, you could argue it's still a shithole now, but it's an expensive shithole. And um, and Cool and Gatto's, everyone, you know, everyone's on the junk and shit. And it's only recently that they've actually become expensive places. So it always felt like surfing was more of a, a cultural thing amongst white people. And, you know, Australia and America until quite recently were white majority countries. And that's probably why there's white people. But then you go to Hawaii and there's Hawaii, there's Bali and there's Indonesians and, and so on. So, um, yeah, I, I find the race thing a little bit confusing in the issue of, um, you know, women's prize money. The white men are scumbags. Don't get me wrong. I fucking hate white men. I guess I'm just trying to ways that people are pushed out of, of surfing spaces generally to, to, like, to hold white men as the more dominant group within surfing, um, whether that's... Um, gender diversity or racial diversity there are, there are different reasons why people are, are pushed out but um, and yeah like it's changing and I think that's really good but it's it's not there it's not there yet what do you think what do you feel about like uh, world surf league 3.0 or whatever it is Eric the Eric Logan regime the 
equal prize money there. I mean, do you, how much of it do you feel is performative uh, versus there's an actual drive for equality or for any kind of change? Well, I'm pretty sure that the head of um, editorial at WSL described Girls Can't Surf movie as boring and he didn't make it to the end. So I don't know if... Um... <laughs> really? I, can't, I can't imagine the WSL saying that. Do they really care? <laughs> Are you being silly? You're teasing us. No, he's I think she's true. Is it true? <laughs> it's true. Really? Yeah. And they publish that. Do they really? Well, yeah, I mean, they they were they were not exactly enthusiastic about it. Wow. <laughs> I think like I think that there are people within the WSL who truly believe in in this, but I think a lot of it is like it has to be the marketing value of it. Like, look at us, we are leading the world in, um, in gender equality, but it doesn't necessarily mean that um, everybody in the organisation believes that it's true. Like, I know still issues with, like, the, um, like the commentary teams and the way that they hire people is, like, like no offence to Kaipo, but what's he doing on that commentary team? He's wonderful, Kaipo. Kaipo Guerrero? Didn't, didn't you hear he dated Madonna in 1975? I can't believe you haven't heard that, Lucy. <laughs> I mean, I just... Joe Terpel's and Hermaphrodite, that must, must help, surely. Huh? Joe Terpel's and Hermaphrodites, surely that must help. <laughs> <laughs> I just think that, I don't know, I guess I don't, I don't want to rag on an organisation that at least uh, ripping other cards right? good good but i don't know if the the thoroughness of it is there yet and i feel like they still have a way to go did did you feel like uh i mean would you describe yourself as an activist did did the moment on stage make you an activist or were you uh, or do you not see your i mean how do you see yourself vis-a-vis -vis, like i suppose just broader labels of feminist activist whatever right like i, I mean like, yeah <laughs> before that equal prize money thing i was just like i don't know a pleb living in sydney just trying to go surfing and then <laughs> after that i became a pro surfer and an activist um so yeah i mean i guess i'm an activist now because i have gone on to to start a campaign and and lead a campaign that um makes me an activist but um I've always been a feminist but I never really had done so too much about it until what's what's your describe your your feminist uh what your like history as a feminist I mean what turned you on like who was the first I don't know author or thinker or film or something that made you think wait a second or was it your mom or grandma or what was the moment that really spiked it all so I don't know if there was a clear moment, but and it, I, I just assume it must have been my mum. But like the very first feminist thing I did, I think, was when I was like twelve, and um, I was in Scouts, and I don't know, <laughs> and we had the first. I was in the first ever all girls patrol, and we won our like regional camping competition to the first all girls patrol to ever do that. <laughs> So I think that was my first feminist move. I didn't really know. I grew up very regional, like in a quite a rural area. So I didn't have a lot of exposure to um, 
to anything that really let me understand or learn about feminism as I was a kid. That was just something that I learned when I was older. <clears throat> um, yeah. Hey, was your... Sorry, Chess, can I, can I just jump in here? No, you hit it, hit it, Derek. Do you have a favourite feminist manifesto? Because mine is, mine is scum, you know, Valerie Solanas is, you know, know. Um, masterwork <laughs> from the 60s. The opening, the opening paragraph of it is like um, the world is, is not being designed for women. It's too boring. We need to eliminate all men. And, um, you know, I love it. and we just need to have a society without men. And she tried to, she tried to kill, um, what's his name? Andy, Andy Wall. Yeah, Society for Cutting Up Men. Can I, can I read my favourite two extracts? They're very short. Yeah. And they're, actually, they're not very short. They're quite long. But can I read them? Because they're really good. Yeah, because <laughs> we all hate men. The male is completely egocentric, trapped inside himself, incapable of empathizing or identifying with others, uh, love, friendship, affection, or tenderness. He is a completely isolated unit, incapable of rapport with anyone. His responses are entirely visceral, not cerebral. His intelligence is a mere tool in the services of his drives and needs. He is incapable of mental passion. Mental interaction, he can't relate to anything other than his own physical sensations. He's a half-dead, unresponsive lump, incapable of giving or receiving pleasure or happiness. Consequently, he is at best an utter bore, an inoffensive blob, since only those capable of absorption and others can be charming. He is trapped in a twilight zone halfway between humans and apes, and is worse off than the apes because unlike the apes, he is capable of a large array of negative feelings, hate, jealousy, contempt, disgust, guilt, shame, doubt, and moreover, he is aware of what he is and what he isn't. Eaten up with guilt, shame, fears, insecurities, and obtaining of his lucky, a barely perceptible physical feeling, the male is nonetheless obsessed with screwing. He'll swim through a river of a snot, wade nostril deep, deep through a mile of vomit if he thinks there'll be a friendly pussy awaiting him. He'll screw a woman he despises, any snaggletooth hag, and furthermore, pay for the opportunity. Why? <laughs> Relieving physical tension isn't the answer, as masturbation suffices for that. It's not ego satisfaction. That doesn't explain screwing corpses and babies. Amazing, huh? Men are such pieces of shit. Chaz, except for you. And my boy. I mean, that's a, that is a beautiful piece of writing right there. <laughs> Beach grit. Yeah. Uh, Valerie. Oh, she did. It. <laughs> yeah, I have to say when I found out about that, um, the Scum Manifesto in Society for Cutting Up Men, I really, I really found it hilarious to read and um although I feel like at the moment um that kind of kind of um feminism is not exactly useful it's it's very nice to read the kind of fire of the people in history who have um who have been brave enough and not had any sense to feel like they need to be liked um and they're just like willing to put their views and express express themselves so rawly out there um i think that that's a really the the history and the legacy of feminism is very interesting and it's very entertaining are you are you a pussy riot fan a what fan pussy riot um what's pussy riot again i don't know the, the, the russians the ruskies who like rock in a church and like Vladimir Putin keeps Putin keeps arresting them and they just like keep shredding all over the place they're so good that's cool yeah I think um that's the cool thing about the feminist movement it comes in many different forms there's many different feminist movements and we need them all 
in different ways. There's some people just with with petitions and Instagram squares, and there's some people out there friggin' doing it old school, which is sick. So now, so now that you are an activist, though, like what I mean, painting like I don't know. You know, I have two daughters, right? Like I'm in this game. Derek's a father of sons. Derek is exactly. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> Why did I forget Shawnee? Sorry, Shawnee. Uh, Derek is a beautiful man and also a father of a daughter. Uh, but like wanting them to be inspired, right? And I don't know, seeing as they move through the world, like how do you paint your ideal vision of, of both what you want to do and how you want it to look? In terms of like for me as, as somebody that, Daughters can look towards us, do you mean? Sort of. I mean, now you're a leader, Lucy. You are a leader, whether you want to be or not. <laughs> Little girls um, looking up to you. <laughs> yeah, I have to say one of the most um, heartwarming parts of um, just accidentally becoming a famous feminist is um, all of the teenage girls that send me messages for their, um, their school assignments. And... <laughs> It's really nice, and some of their questions are really hard. <laughs> I'm so glad the Beach Grit had even a tiny part in making you do teenage girls' school assignments. It's like I'm writing an assignment about um, women's repre- rep- women's representation in the wider feminist movement in Australia, or something. And I'm like having to write all these answers about like who do you think is the leader of the feminist movement, um, which is really cool, but. Um, I guess I haven't really thought about this too much. Um, I think I would hope that um, anybody who, any any little girl or boy who's out there or teenage girl or boy who's thinking, who's looking at my Instagram or something um, could think that you can just go ahead and do anything. You don't have to be a superstar to, to do stuff. You can just... <laughs> You can just be a regular gal and then and then just stick it to the patriarchy and suddenly be part of a movement that you actually had no idea that you could ever be part of. And and that a testament to that is to just be brave and to speak your mind. And I really hope that in some way that I can encourage people who are too fearful to, to speak up against injustice to go... I can do it. I can I can say something, and I can change it. And um, I hope that that's what is <laughs> what people think. I don't know. <laughs> do you ever think? Do you ever think? Okay, I can push this farther. Come on. Okay, like feminism's great. Love it. Into it. Also, I get friggin' rich here. I could write a bestseller. I could be Australia's number one feminist icon. I could start fires all over the place. This is, I've got my path now. I'm going to run it. Like you mean, maybe I could start the revolution if I wanted? <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Like you've got a sweet Joan of Arc haircut going where <laughs> I feel I feel you could be Australia's Joan of Arc carrying a longboard. Who could have said? <laughs> like maybe, but I don't really know when I'm going to actually get to go surfing if I do that. It takes a <laughs> time. <laughs> 
I think Joan Arc still got to go riding horses, right? She made it. I mean, I feel you just like mow through lineups, just like chopping. When, the, when we start the revolution, is there going to be a point break there? <laughs> I mean, exact, precisely. That's a good question. That is a great question to ask. Um, I don't know. I haven't, all I've been thinking about lately is trying to get signatures on my petition. Um, I haven't really thought about um, how to how to do anything else i have thought it would be really cool to organize a mini all girl band festival to like raise awareness for the issue and that would be a really fun um campaign event to do you could call it little fair huh you could call it Lilith Fair. Did you ever listen or go to i mean you're way too young you don't even remember Lilith Fair, do you um my only <laughs> my only understanding of anyone called lilith is um is like Eve's um, like feminist naughty sister from Adam and Eve story. <laughs> exactly, they had, but they had like in the early Lollapalooza days when that first started, the early grunge movement, they had Lilith Fair, which was the all feminist grunge festival. So it was only women bands just ripping it on stage. Yeah, you can bring well, it back. That's, that's kind of what I want to do. Have like a lineup of all girl bands and then you have to like to get in you have to sign the petition before you go in kind <laughs> of dust it derek aren't girls too weak to play drums um i think that, uh, yeah i think we're gonna have to actually get all boys on drums because um the we girls have or something i don't know <laughs> yeah we can we can open the pick boxes and shit can you help me with this can and Lucy, let's, let's dive into the recent explosive online exchange with Kanga, the founder of Pro Surfing, the big wave legend and supporter of women's surfing. I mean, he's, I, had, I had a sniff around your uh, and he's often in your comments talking about women's pro surfing. So what happened to your burgeoning friendship? Yeah, so first thing was that I was wondering what he actually did do for women's surfing. He married one. Hey, we'll he did. Like, that's cool. <laughs> I'll do my bit. I'm, 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 I'm married one of the bitches. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I guess, I guess women surfers need support. That's great. Good, good. Um, Did, didn't, didn't Kanga actually set up the whole uh, women's division, Derek? It probably correct probably, me if I'm wrong. Yeah, and he's, he's really, really into it. So, um, but I, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> I was googling him, and it wasn't—it wasn't his lead uh, lead trait on his Wikipedia profile. So I don't know. Maybe you should get it up there a bit further. Um, so yeah, I mean, he's replied to my story a couple of times um, when I have posted a few things about um, vaccination, COVID vaccinations, um, and. Interestingly, he has used the terminology, my body, my choice, um, which you would know is, a, um, is from the pro-abortion movement. So when I posted a meme that I did not make, that was just out there on the internet, that basically um, made a comment, it was in response to the Texas abortion law, and it also made a comment about how, like, um, about men losing their um, their virginity to the, of government telling them what to do with their body, um, and 
to be honest with you, I just really wondered about the last time that um, the government made Ian um, Cairns have a baby when he replied to me saying that he found it offensive um, that I had posted that. And um, yeah, then he, when I, <laughs> when he replied saying that I find this offensive, this is people you need to live with, which is his, was his first response. Um, I did think that's really, that's a really weird thing to say, but okay. And I didn't really humor him. And I said, wishing you growth, which is what um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez signs off on her um, post about this stuff. So I took that directly from her. And I guess it probably is a little bit patronizing, but I also was kind of giving um, his, his message the same level of um, intellect that I thought it deserved. And, um, and yeah, he came back with a straight up, fuck you. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, and also made a comment about how much he does for women's surfing and, um, and how I needed him. And I really thought maybe you did one thing for women surfing one time. It does not mean that I still owe you. And I also really wondered what he meant, like that I needed him for, and I really wondered for what. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, then he said, okay, bye. And, um, and he unfollowed me and I, oh, was, Ian. wow, that's that not cool. Force, isn't it? <laughs> the, <I> classic, <laughs> classic symbolic move on the unfollow. Um, but yeah, I did. I, I thought that was quite a, um, like it was very mean what he said. Can't say fuck you to someone. I don't know. I thought that was rude. <laughs> Derek. Uh, well, well, when I asked Ian about it, he said he, because I asked him if he had a beef with with uh, Lucy, and uh, he said no beef. I just didn't like a picture of a white guy about to be hung representing the travesty of the Texas abortion law, which I thought was good because it's um, you both are on the same page on the Texas abortion law thingy. And he said um, he said it offends me thinking that they're of the left and forgiving but she stepped up with the get enlightened gibberish and AOC is a red rag to, to someone like Ian Cairns. And, um, and he was saying that if you want equal prize money for winning, you shouldn't offend people who are willing to help. I think that that's the opposite of what we should do. If we want equal prize money, we should be willing to speak up and stop pandering to people who are, will willingly um perpetuate inequality in order to please people. The objective of, of any movement of, of creating disruption, disruption that will hopefully lead to change is not being um, like afraid to be disliked. You have to be willing to be disliked by people who find your position on things offensive because they maybe haven't um, done the kind of reflection or gained the kind of understanding that is needed to 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 support the movement authentically and rather would rather say fuck you than than think does she need me <laughs> or feel like they're owed by somebody like me um i'm not going to pander to 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 somebody to anybody um in order to to get to get support because I think if people genuinely believe and, and, and want to support us and they won't expect that. Because there's no such thing as a blood free revolution as Malcolm X famously said. I guess so. <laughs> 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 
Sorry, Ian. That's a bit of a little blood spilled on the streets, I think. Like, no offence, Ian, but I think he's dead wood that I'll, I'll happily cut. Oh. But, but he was pretty keen to achieve a beautiful rapprochement um, with all of us on a podcast. Why didn't, why didn't you want to join in that little uh, four-way? Um, I guess because um, I was worried that it might be positioning me to have some kind of confrontation with Ian that um, didn't feel like a productive use of my energy. Um, and also I didn't want to give um, support the plat giving platform to somebody who would say something so nasty and feel like they're owed something. Um, so I didn't, I, I didn't really feel like that was a, a comfortable space for me to be in to, to talk about these kind of issues. You would have been squishy because he's a big man. Not, <laughs> uh, not to speak or defend Ian, but uh, I mean, he's honestly from a different era, right? Like he's a different kind of, I don't know. And I suppose they, these are the things that all ugly white men say is just oh, forgive him his, his sins. Like he's just an old white dude. This is the way they speak. But I think Ian would say that, right? I think Ian would say, I love a dust up. I mean, I've had good dust ups with Ian where he's told me to fuck me too. Uh, but it's always, I mean, he's Ian's told Ian's given me the fuck you before. Oh, really? Yeah. You don't remember that? Since yeah, I first met Ian Carroll, he maybe didn't say fuck you, did he? I can't remember. Is, is fuck you, do you take super, I mean, I guess I just have heard fuck you so many times in my life that I don't even take offense anymore. Derek, do you? No. Just but it's easy for a friend. You the door and someone tells you to fuck you. <laughs> yeah, I get fuck you. Oh man, it's like 50-50. Fuck you or go to fuck hell at this point. <laughs> <laughs> fuck you. Fuck you. <laughs> It would be different getting a fuck you from like, I don't know, somebody who is maybe of my age group, of my, maybe of my gender or something like that, that I could kind of be like, oh, that's just catty or, but from a 69 year old man who's like a life member of the governing body of pro surfing, um, to me, who's like a 28 year old woman who's just trying to like do stuff to, to help society be better. I just feel like that kind of like like dynamic there. There's already like social hierarchies that exist. Um, that then to get that fuck you, I was like, it didn't it didn't actually make me upset. It just made me think like it's very it reflects very badly on him. I guess that's what it does. Um, and I I didn't really feel like I wanted to. She just don't really want to talk to somebody that would say something like that to me. Um, so, yeah, I think he is of a different era and I, I totally get that point, Chaz. I think that that is important for, um, for, for us to have that understanding that not everybody is learning things at the same pace or not everybody has this kind of exposure to all this information through social media or whatever that young younger generations have now that that lets us kind of rapidly catch on to these social trends and and have these open minds and all that kind of thing that you know like doing maybe what Ian did for women surfing in the late 80s or early 80s when his era was um, like it probably was a big deal then and I I, I feel like that kind of thing doesn't shouldn't go unnoticed, but I, I do also think it is everybody's responsibility to 
keep on learning and, and keep on paying attention to the stuff as best they can. And like, I sure I am of the mindset of forgiveness and bringing people along and that kind of thing, but I'm not going to do that to someone that's t- going to tell me to get fucked. <laughs> How am I supposed to do that? <laughs> so yeah, I guess that like, I, and I think one of the great, actually one of the great things has been um, my dad he doesn't surf, but he's a big sports fan. And um, bringing him along on this journey and him having saying now that he's thinking about things so differently and he's doing, um, his, like he's kind of picking up on the way that he has thought about women or issues to do with women and the, the words that he use, uses that he's never done before. And he said, like, it's never too old. I'm never too old to learn. And he's like... I think my dad's a feminist now. <laughs> is, is like, yeah, I mean, in regards to, I mean, just the idea of being woke or getting woke or all this kind of stuff, right? Like, it is hard. I mean, I think that the assumption is that all of this is self-evident and that everyone, you know, if you're not getting it instantly, then you're part of the problem. Uh, but I think that's a pretty harsh, for me at least, obviously I'm a toxic white male, but like, I just think, wow, like to expect everyone's going to perceive all of these things in the same way and then understand them in the same way or, or to even assume that all of these things are self-evident, right? I think is, it's hard. Like, and I fully back the bloody revolution, like burn the fucking house down. But also, uh, I don't know, there was also, you know, two, uh, there was Malcolm X and then there was stinking Martin Luther King Jr., right? Who was... There's sort of two different sides to revolution. Hmm? I, I think that though, when when the bloody revolution um, starts, the the movement begins with people going out into communities and educating people, actively talking about the issues and helping people to learn and understand, so that when the revolution starts, everybody who wants to join has had the opportunity to do so. So, um, I think that if we are I, I think, yeah, we need, we do need to give people the chance to learn and ask questions and, and, and say, like, I don't really, like, to have space for people to say, I didn't realise, I, like, what, how do you think it should be? Or I didn't, I didn't know that this was an issue, or it's always been this way, but how can we change it, I think, is, is completely fine. And we shouldn't punish people for not having the knowledge. And I think that, like, in, what I've noticed from living in the city now, but from sort of always having lived in smaller coastal communities is my understanding of these issues has, has grown very quickly from being in an environment where there is a lot of diversity. There are a lot of like sort of, there's the marketplace of ideas is a lot bigger. Um, whereas in coastal communities, the, there's not necessarily the same kind of exposure to different people and, and different social issues and, and kind of, things work that people are doing like it's it's just a lot it's just a lot more can be a lot more insulated and so the rate of learning is a lot slower so if you were going um if you were going to do something like campaign to change um prize money in the whole state you need to put work into or like have the have the kind of approachability to be able to educate people and help people learn and not be punishing people because they didn't know so like I think that is really important and that um, we can't just exclude older generations because in their time, the knowledge was different. 
and have the opportunity for people to learn in, in this time and, and the way that things are changing now. And I think that everyone can do it. Everybody can be part of it in a positive way. Um, but we, we do need to take the time to do it. And we can't, we can't just expect people to know already because that, I don't know, it's not fair, I guess. So you're raising, uh, you're raising cash for SurfAid, which is a beautiful not-for-profit, helping the dying multitudes in the, in the mental eyes. Um, hello to the beautiful Dougie Lees, Claire Stafford. But you did say um, that you're usually very wary, wary to support Western-based surf charities. What, um, what's, um, what is it about fashionable Western-based charities that kills you? Okay, I have to be completely honest. I had to pull out of Surf 8 September because I live more than um, five kilometres from the beach, so I couldn't go surfing for the whole of September because of lockdown. Oh, you couldn't, couldn't, couldn't run the gauntlet? Um, but I did, I just, I, I was, just wanted to be thorough in, um, in joining that and knowing that the, the um, initiatives were locally led, which I think is really awesome, something that Surf Aid seems to do quite well, um, is that it's funded by Western um, initiatives like Surf Aid September, people donating here in Australia, but then the actual on the ground work is done and led by people within their, from within the communities that it's done. And um, I, I said that because um, there's complex issues with foreign aid that um, have a lot to do with, can have a lot to do with like cultural imperialism, I guess we could say, um, and ideas of like Western ideas of how society should look being diffused into areas that, um, that are non-Western um, through foreign aid. And I think that that's something that it, only people from within, within a community know the changes that need to be made and it's better to support that than it is to come in with foreign ideas and deliver um trying trying to deliver outcomes that suit a western context but are not necessarily suitable or best for the communities that you are delivering them to like like pop stars for africa and, and stuff like that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You wouldn't, know, you wouldn't know this, Lucy, but do they know it's Christmas was their biggest faux pas oh, yeah. song ever. Oh, it was man. Another country. They didn't know it was Christmas. Of course they didn't. <laughs> they wanted to kill the infidel. Ah! But, uh, Lucy. <laughs> okay. Last question here. Uh, Beach Grit's readership, I think, is a, you know, I think they're on the surface is a crusty old white surfer right like i can't imagine there's lots of i mean if we have our uh, brazilian our random italian which are italians white i think they're white uh but anyway yeah we got a couple hispanics uh mexican here and there but uh anyhow a crusty male by and large you know white by and large surfer who I think also has a real heart of gold. How do you break through? What do you say to that person to say, come join the revolution? Help me. <laughs> um, I think that the important thing to remember with um, gender equality in sport is that what we are proposing in, um, in having this, having sport, sport spaces, surfing spaces more gender inclusive is not um, to take anything away from anyone, but it is to provide opportunity for it to grow in a 
in a different and unique way. So, for example, the petition that I am currently um, that I'm currently trying to get signatures for that you should also all go and sign um, is it's we want to we want to make gender equity a condition of government funding for sports clubs in New South Wales. So, if a if a board riders club applies for funding from the state government, they need to show that they support um, women and girls. In, they have gender equal policies within their club. And I think um, that, A, I, I, we wouldn't be doing it if we didn't believe that people can do that easily and show it, that people running board riders clubs are smart enough to know how to do it and, and to easily be able to fulfill that. Um, but it also, it provides new opportunities for things like sponsorship. So like companies like Tom's um, sanitary items, they, they support Nikki Van Dyke, who's a surfer, and they would never sponsor a board riders club that is not gender inclusive. So you lose a whole brand, like you lose a whole section of brands of companies that could potentially fund a board riders club by not being gender inclusive. So if you are gender inclusive, then you have these, we have more opportunities for money to come in and that's positive growth for our, our sport. And that's positive like support for what is, um, what has been coined the heart and soul of, of surfing in Australia. So I don't know if that, that's a, that's a quite a wordy technical way of explaining it, but in the end it comes in my mind it comes down to that, Derek, you have sons and a daughter that if they're playing sport together or in their respective teams as kids and they have dreams of growing up to be pro athletes, you have to find, as a parent, you have to find a way to tell your daughter that she, she should probably get another job, she'd probably have to get another career because for doing the exact same thing, she's going to get paid not enough to live on Whereas your son can probably do it as his career and maybe make a lot of money. So I, I tell my daughter, daughter's daddy. to model. <laughs> um, yeah, female models do much better than male models. And, and in they the, crush it. They and crush the it. Those oh. male models get stomped on their necks. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think that that, to me, it's like, that's what it's about. That's what, like, the revolution is not... Is, is basically <laughs> my revolution at the moment anyway, is, um, is basically trying to help kids have equal chance, equal pathway through sport and that they that 10 year old girls can play footy and go on and, and be professional footy players if they want to. And at the moment they can't really. So um, yeah, I think that, that that's, a, in my mind, that's a simple way of looking at it that you should be able to tell your kids, no matter what gender they are, that they can chase their dreams and make careers out of, of, of the things that they love to do, the sports that they love to play. Thanks, Lucy. No worries. Thanks for having me. That was beautiful. beautiful. Thanks for coming. Yeah. And just quickly, how do, you, uh, how do people sign a petition? Um, you can head to equalpayforequalplay.com.au and you can sign the petition. There's a, a little button, you just click it and there's the petition and you just put your name in and then it's signed and we need 20,000 signatures to get it tabled in parliament where it has to be debated if you have that many signatures. Um, Do you have to be Australian to sign? Um, you actually technically have to be a resident of New South Wales. <clears throat> I'm not gonna advocate for any kind of 
misleading information entry, but they don't ask for your address. So if you if you believe in the cause, I, I think you can support it. That's good. I feel like a climate change chess can feel like climate change scientists signing it. You know, sure can. That's signing that too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah, probably Australian is good. Australian at the minimum would be good. Chess in Australia. I'm Australian. I'm signing. I'm in. All right. Thanks, Lucy. Thanks, thanks Lucy. Bye. Bye. If you're into sports betting, Bet Online is where you should go to win money today. Whether it's live bets, during games, or futures for who you think will win the championship, Bet Online has all the latest odds, news, and information for all your online sports betting needs. Chaz, do you throw your money away betting? I wish I could more easily. This is the problem: is I'm always looking for somewhere easy to throw my money away sports betting because I always think that I've got a sure lock on a game, and nothing feels better then knowing you have a Sherlock and throwing money down, right? I mean, yeah. how often do you sports bet? I, I jump on the, jump on the surfing occasion. I always lose because I, I can't ignore long odds. I see long odds and, and, I, and I just see ding, ding, ding. But that's, I mean, the whole point of betting is long odds, right? Like who wants to ever go, like playing the book to me is the most insane part about gambling because in gambling, I got a gut feeling on something even from anything, right? I mean, most sports betting, but even let's bring it all the way back to blackjack is sitting and playing the book where you're at the table and you know, okay, I'm holding a 17, but ooh, I got a gut <laughs> that a four is coming up. And you know that everyone in the table hates you when you say, hit me, because you're not supposed to do that. But getting, isn't, I don't understand anyone hating on anyone taking the longest odds in any any time the blackjack example is perfect because you have these people playing a game that's designed for them to lose and yet they play this they play that thing where you, know, you don't draw on you know 14 or above. no you play the book that's yeah, yeah. all you do is play the book and then the and people and those, oh, serious. And you'd and see he, how many how mad do people get in front of you when somebody else would not play the book and i and i used to sit and go you guys are idiots and then quite often, you, you know, you pull out, you, you know, 10, you're four, you're three, you're two, you're three, whatever, and get 21. If someone had been pulling all those shortcuts, the only way it works is if you can card count. I mean, card count and or got a sweet gut feeling, which is sports betting. It's Ooh, all about. What it feel like? Tell me what it feels oh, like. Tell me that gut. I, I mean, would you just have that tingle in your gut when you know, when you know, I mean, for example, I was in Italy not too long ago, knew full well. Italy was going to take the uh, Euro Cup. I knew they were going to beat England. I just knew it. Uh, and if I had a nice app that I could have easily bet or a nice website that I knew I could have bet, I would have full-on thrown down. It's just I never know where to go in this instance. Well, now you know. So visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So before your next big game, head on over to Bet Online and start playing today. Bet Online, the online sports books, best sports book experts, and it's betonline.ag. Very important. So wait, betonline.sportsag. No, no, betonline, B-E-T-O, whatever, dot A-G. So it's Antigua. Dot, that's it. You don't even yeah, need a dot com. Come visit beautiful Antigua and Barbuda. I mean, who doesn't want to bet in Antigua? We love your women. Who doesn't?
That's where <laughs> I want to throw all my money away. Welcome, welcome to Antigua. Tell it on your dear car. Making people's millions. <laughs> Thanks, Jazz. We done. Perfect. Jesus. That's, That's the one. You're good. Good man. Thanks for doing that. Oh, no, no worries. But any of these dumb ads, we should just do, unless they have like want specific stuff. Yeah. We should just make them fun and funny because they actually become part of the show. People yeah. start liking the ads as much as anything else. Yeah. <laughs> dumb. Just a dumb yeah, podcast yeah. life. HD, you are. It's amazing. I'm just examining. I can see the fence. I can see the see the walls and the wood in the in the in the fence. It's lovely. It's on my old shit phone. An old shit phone is so much better than an old shit computer, which is amazing. You'd think that the computer would have like guts to do stuff like this, but I think the phone. I only ever now I've given up on the computer for any kind of, yeah, online podcasting or anything. Yeah, right. I don't use it. I don't use a microphone. I don't use earphones. I don't use anything. Yeah. And uh, and David has the has the has the beautiful setup. We're still I mean, David does setup. Still haven't worked it out yet, though. Oh my goodness, though! Like I don't know how. Yeah, like I'm in and out of David before he said. Like I come in right when he's finished setting up. I leave well before he starts tearing down. <laughs> uh, I think of the ah the slog that that dude throws in. <laughs> he's he's good value, lovely man. Oh, yep, right. David Lee Scales. Thank you, Matt. Oh, thank you. Looks good. Bye. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.